You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. If you would to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As we continue in our study of Romans, um, and I want to tell you, we have uh, we have we are in for a treat. We are in for a treat. I want you, if you would, t- uh, stand, stand as we read and reverence the reading of God's word. Romans 8, two verses, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God." Now, these verses have so much depth in them. All we ever concentrate on, though, because it's easier to hear and (laughs) we need it, is that the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And we're going to talk about that today. But my friend, these two verses are much, much more than just what the Spirit does for us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... I pray, God, that you would. I pray the Holy Spirit would hear my heart and communicate with you how badly I want folks to get this, and I want folks to be saved, and I want folks to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We now embark, now listen, on the glorious ending of one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. How many of y'all agree with that? If you've studied your Bible much, you, you, you probably agree with that. It is like a song starting with a soft but powerful introduction and builds to an explosive crescendo of symphonic glory. As, this, as the epistles often do, and by the way, young people, the epistles are not the apostles' wives. The epistles are the letters, Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Timothy, all, all, everything but the four gospels are letters that were written, and even the four gospels were probably might be letters written, to individuals or to churches. We call them epistles. The epistles, as the epistles often do, it is a glorious rehearsal of each one of the Trinity's work on our behalf. Now, these particular verses are the Trinity's work in us after we are saved. What God is doing, God the Father is doing for us now, what Jesus is doing for us now, and what the Spirit is doing for us now, and what they have done for us, the work of the Trinity. And I want you to know that there's more than the Holy Spirit at work. There's more than Jesus and his redemptive work. There is the Father. A well-balanced theology, doctrine, or gospel rests on the uh, trilateral foundation of the triune Godhead. That's a lot of fun words there. 
Let me say it again. A well-balanced theology, that is what you believe and know about God, a well-balanced doctrine, that is the teachings, the whole teachings of the Bible, and a well-balanced gospel message rests on the trilateral foundation of the triune Godhead. And to worship, now listen to me, to worship to study and talk about one while excluding another causes an unbalanced view of theology, doctrine, and the gospel and gives an unbalanced view of those things. You say, well, Brother Ron, are we unbalanced? Most Baptist churches are. And we'll get into that in a later sermon, but... But I want you to look at this. And I've taught this before. Christy said, you know, you've taught on that before. That's because it keeps coming up in Scripture. How that God has a part in your salvation and in your life. The Holy Spirit has a part in your salvation and in your life. And Christ has a part in your salvation and in your life. And you can't ignore one over the other. And so this is going to be a great positive uh, message. Number one, I want you to see exceeding excuse me interceding prayer and this is the work of the spirit this is good are y'all listening i'm telling you some of y'all need this i look over here and i see some folks that are missing that i wish y'all would be here because i know life has got them down life's got you down some of you your sin has got you down listen it's all not all about you your sin is troubling you if you're a christian and maybe you're not experiencing victory because of sin. That's often true in my life. I don't have assurance and I don't have the strength and I don't have the boldness I should have sometimes because I let sin in to uh, disrupt me, right? So we see interceding prayer of the Spirit. First of all, I want you to see the word likewise. This is A. It's not going to be on your deal. I, I just did a little different, but write A, this, uh, likewise, okay? Because my scripture is my point. So I usually when I do that, I don't put them up there. Number one, interceding prayer. That's Roman numeral one, A, likewise. That's a very important word here. It's a good word. Are you listening to me? This will make you smile. This will make you smile. Look at this. This is referring to, likewise, is referring to in verse 22. Look back at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans. The whole creation groans and labors with bird pains together unto now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruit of the Spirit. Uh, uh, look at verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 20. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. I still am not getting to the verse I want. 19. All right. We're climbing the ladder. Jacob, anyway, for the earnest expectation of the creation early, er, <laughs> eagerly waits for what? The revealing of the sons of God. So why does the earth groan for us? You know why the earth is in bondage to the curse? Because of us. Because of Adam and our continued sin. And so the earth is groaning and saying, Oh God, please come and deliver these humans so we can be so we can be delivered. I can be delivered. That's basically what he's saying there. Then look at verse 23. 
And we're not going any higher. Verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves. So, number one, it's referring to the groaning of creation. And number two, it's referring to the groaning of the Christian. And then in the verse that we're fixing to study, it is talking about the groaning of the Spirit. It is not us that groans in these verses. It's the Spirit that groans for us. He groans and he communicates in ways and with depths that you and I can't even express in words. But he can. And he's not just relaying in words. He's relaying to God what we feel. He's relaying God the groanings that we have with his own groanings. It means that the Spirit is not just doing it because it's his job, but he has the heart to intercede for you and me. So, but it is this case, the spirit groans for us and our needs and our weaknesses before God the Father. How can a fallen human understand communication with an all-knowing, all-seeing, sovereign God? Sometimes I get up in the morning and I can't even remember my name, little less the words that I need to express what I need. We need some help. So, the first word we looked at is likewise. Number two, the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit. John Gill, a great pastor and preacher and an intellect and a smart, he knew like seven languages by the time he was 16 years old. He pastored the church that Spurgeon pastored in, uh, in uh, London 100 years before Spurgeon pastored it. And John Gill says on this, and I'm going to use him because he goes back in these chapters that's been talking about the Spirit, and he relays them. Listen, this is good. He said, the Spirit of God. He's talking about the Spirit of God here, which dwells in us, number one. Number two, by whom we are led. Number three, who is the Spirit of adoption to us. Number four, who has witness to our spirits. Number five, that we are the children of God. Number six, whose first fruits... We have received, number seven, over and above and besides what he has done for us also helps our infirmities. Whilst we are groaning within ourselves, both for ourselves and for others, and are waiting patiently for what we are hoping for. And what he does is go back and he lists all the things that the Spirit is doing for us. And he says, here is just one more exclamation point, which, by the way, as I said, is an introduction to the greatest chorus of the book of Romans, especially. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of a person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Who better to communicate with God than his spirit? The next phrase is helps our weaknesses. The spirit helps our weaknesses, our humanness, our finiteness, our limited knowledge our limited understanding, and our limited vocabulary. Our humanness, our fallenness, and then our limited vocabulary. 
when we don't know what to speak. And let me ask you something. Don't you get less able to articulate words when you're a blubbering fool? When you're in pain and sorrow and trouble is when you're least uh, able to verbalize what you're feeling and what you want. Look at this next phrase. He intercedes with groanings. He groans too deep for words. When we can't find the words, he knows what words need to be said. Now, by the way, I want to say this. I'm going to go on quickly. This is not referring to the gift of languages or some unscriptural gibberish, which is all this modern tongue stuff is. There's no such thing as angelic language. There's no such thing as tongues in the way that's been taught by the char- our charismatic friends and brothers and sisters, the Pentecostals, Assembly Gods. There's no such thing. It was the gift of languages. Matter of fact, that's all the word is. The King James translators translated tongues because that's the word that was used then for languages. And now translators ought to be translating it tongues. Uh, Not tongues, languages. Because that's all it is. And there's no such word in the Bible unknown. The Bible never says unknown languages. If you look in your King James Version Bible, that word was added. And so a lot of people have come up with the craziest idea about what tongues is. And then they try to use this verse. See, uh uh-huh, see, see, right here. We speak things that can't be uttered. No, we don't. The Spirit is speaking for us. Hallelujah, glory to God. With words that we cannot utter, of course. Why? Because... We don't know the vocabulary. We don't know the words. We're too weak. Sometimes we can't speak. We're so overwhelmed with grief, with sorrow, with sadness over our own sin, over our own lives, over our own children, over our own uh, mates, over our own friends, and we don't know what to say. And all we can do is just cry and cry. I want to tell you something, just give you a little bit of hint here. When you're trying to comfort someone who's grieving over a loved one they've lost or or, or something or some bad news, you don't have to talk. Matter of fact, it's probably better if you don't. Don't ever sit there and say, and although it's true, God has this. God's good. You know, God's, uh, God's, all things work together for good. Those who love God, those are called according to purpose. I want to tell you something. That means nothing to someone who just lost a child or a, or a, a husband or a wife. I'll be honest with you. I just know the way I grieve. I wouldn't like that, and I wouldn't hear it right after something tragic like that happened. It's not that I don't believe it. It's just not the time. What do you do, Brother Ong? What do you say? You don't have to say anything. You want to see Brother Ong get quiet? And those of you that I have tried to help and comfort, you might notice, I don't say much at all. I just basically say, I'm here for you. What do you need? What do you want? I serve them. That's what you ought to do. When you're comforting a grieving person, let me tell you something. If they don't know what to say, what do you think? How do you think you know what to say? Because I'm fixing to say some things here. And this is, this is helpful. This is good stuff. Now, I said it's not talking about the gift of tongues. It is, and here it is. I put it up on the board. It is the Spirit communicating with the Father, God, on our behalf. He's interceding 
for me. But I don't know what to say. I don't know how to defend myself. I don't know how to request. I don't know how to get God to feel what I feel. The Spirit of God says, I know how you feel. I'll tell him. How do you verbalize pain, Brother Justin? How do you communicate the feeling of loss, Roland and Russell? I was going to say Russell, but Roland came out. How do you communicate the feeling of loss? How do you express in words the brokenness over sin? And by the way, let me tell you something. We always think about this when we think about this, of losing loved ones, of getting a bad news about cancer. I want to tell you something. The biggest grief that a Christian has or should have is their hatred for their own sin. Brokenness. And some people are so broken over their sin, they can't get victory. I can understand that myself. But God forgives, and we need to know the truth. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with being broken over your sin. Matter of fact, I think we need a good dose of it on most of us. And how do you communicate, God, I'm doing this. I have this. I fall so easily to this sin, and I don't know how to overcome it. How do I express to you? You ever gotten like that? How do you express in words the brokenness of your sin? How do you tell God what others just, now listen to me, cannot understand? Hear me. Hear me. I hear good-meaning people say to someone who has gone through a great tragedy or is in some kind of spiritual quandary. I've I got ahead of myself a minute ago, but I'm going to read this anyway. Or serious health issue, I understand. Now listen. You say to them, I understand. Well, Brother On, I have lost a mate. Or Brother On, I have lost a child. Or Brother On, I have lost a friend. I can tell them that I understand. Nah, you really don't. You know why? Because everybody's different. For instance, me and Miss Lucille are loudmouths and we talk all the time, right? Isn't that true? It's me and Miss Lucille. The bigger, you know, you hear them before you see them. No. No, Miss Lucille is kind and sweet and quiet. A wonderful mother and, and wife and a great church member. Brother Ron is, well, he's loud. He's extrovert. Extrovert. Everybody's different, right? I feel grief differently than you do. There might be a measure different about how I loved my loved one the way you loved your loved one. So just to be honest with you, and here's another thing, when you're sitting there and telling people in grief, I understand, you don't understand. Even if you've gone through the same thing, you don't understand that person's heart, you don't understand their spirit, because that's what the Bible says. Nobody understands Ron Owen like Ron Owen, right? Now, I want to tell you something. If you said that to me in my, in my despair, it would mean a lot to me that you're trying and you do understand. We understand life, don't we? But really, honestly, nobody understands what I'm going through in my grief and my pain and my sorrow and my madness at myself like I do. But the Spirit of God does. You know why? He's Almighty God. Glory to God, aren't you glad you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Oop, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
when we don't know what to say, when we can't find the words, when all we can do is just cry, the Spirit of God, I love this, listen, communicates for us with an inner Trinitarian communication that we cannot utter. MacArthur says, many times we are not even aware that spiritual needs exist, much less know how best they should be met. Listen, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. The Spirit of God speaks. Now listen, this is me speaking. The Spirit of God speaks the language of feelings, the language of emotions, and inexpressible inner turmoil, pain, regret, and confusion. The Spirit of God knows those languages. One commentator put it this way, the Spirit speaks for us with divine articulations within the Trinity that cannot be expressed in human words but carry profound appeals for the welfare of every believer. That's it. No wonder Jesus in John 16 said, I'm sending you a helper. A helper. The word is paraclete, which means somebody that comes and walks beside you. I'm going to send you a helper. And he does. Aren't you glad? Number two, interceding proof. We have, number one, interceding prayer. But then in these verses, we see interceding proof. Now, what in the world am I talking about? I think this is talking about the son and his work. And you got to look. And there are... Good men smarter than me that disagree with me on this, but that's okay. What I'm going to tell you is true. We can find it in other scriptures, but I believe it's here too. Look at verse uh, 26, likewise. Look at verse 27. Now he. Now here it is. These verses are a little confusing. And anytime you talk about the Trinity, when you go over to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, it has a great outline of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the he's are interchangeable. It's hard to find out which one they're talking about. I think it's the same thing here. And he who searches the hearts. Now, who is that? Well, it could be the Father. It could be the Son. It could be the Spirit knows what the mind of the spirit is. So we know now it's not the spirit because this is whoever this he is knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. Now, wait a minute. It just said the Holy Spirit makes intercession for the saints. So is it talking about the spirit according to the will of God? And that no doubt is talking about the father. I believe that the he in verse 27 is Jesus because there's two different Uh, uh, intercessions in the Bible. Number one is the intercession of prayer. The Spirit prays for us and expresses God in our life things we can't. But how does Jesus intercede? He intercedes in a salvific way. He's interceding when the devil accuses. Jesus said, shut up devil, my blood is applied. God the Father says, well what about that Ron Owen down there? He's been a booger this week. What about it? Covered Paid for, to tell a star, paid in full, and Jesus is our advocate. I'm getting ahead of myself. Woo! Glory to God, I love that I'm saved. Amen. And if you're not saved today, get saved. 
The he in verse 27, I believe, is referring to the Son, Jesus. It could be said of any of the Trinity that they search the hearts, but it says of the he that he knows the mind of the Spirit and intercedes for the saints. This must be talking about Christ's work on our behalf. I could be wrong, but that's okay. I'm not overstepping Scripture's bounds. But look at verse 34, if you would, just for more proof. Down at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So there you go. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't intercede. And you can come against me. The devil can come against me. My mama may have to testify against me. Christy may testify against me. If she has to tell the truth, she'd have to testify against me. Allison thinks I'm perfect. But, uh, but uh, and even the church members have to testify. Yes, he's sweet and kind and wonderful. But I tell you what, he's a sinner just like the rest of us. But I want to tell you, Jesus said, he's not a sinner. My blood has come him and God has said he is not guilty God justified me but we're not talking about God yet the father we're talking about Jesus he intercedes on our behalf so that's why you say proof what's the proof Jesus is the proof Jesus says it's covered you need testimony you don't need the devil you don't need mama you don't need dad you don't need humans you don't need anybody to testify against him because I'm the only testimony you need these nail scars are enough father I've covered him with my righteousness and God says not guilty Woo. the spirit intercedes in prayer and number two the son intercedes in propitiation Propitiation. How about that word? That's a word, isn't it? Everybody say it together. Propitiation. If you don't know what that word means, number one, over the last 12 years, you hadn't been listening to my preaching very close. And number two, it's a hard word, and I understand. But you need to know it. It's a great word. It's an awesome word. It means atonement. And I'll get to it in a minute. But listen to 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may, may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is our propitiation for our sins and not for ours own but also for the whole world. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for sin. So what in the world does it mean? Well, first of all, he explains it in the word advocate. Advocate with the Father. This is, what is an advocate? advocate? It's basically the same as an intercessor. He intercedes for us. But then number two, that word propitiation means appeasement or atonement. Now listen, let me give it to you in a visual deal. You see the Ark of the Covenant? How many of you see the Ark of the Covenant in your mind? It's the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. It's a golden box and inside of it is the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the copy of the Ten Commandments. That's what was in the Ark of the Covenant. And then it has a lid, a lid that's set upon it of pure gold. And on that lid, what did it have? cherubim two cherubims and they're and they're facing each other but their wings are touching okay and what is this called the mercy seat do you know what the word in the new testament for mercy seat is propitiation replacement 
the seat of atonement. And if you looked at the Greek word and you found propitiation where we read it before and the place where it says mercy seat, guess what? It's the same word, the same word, same Greek word. Jesus appeased the justice of God for us on the cross. Hebrews 7, 23, I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read it and we're finished. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. There are many priests. Why? Because they died. They had to be replaced. But he, Christ, because he continues forever. Woo, I'm about to run. You ought to be about to run too. Listen, has an unchangeable priesthood. <laughs> he's never going to change. He's never going to sin. He's never going to not be able to propitiate for us. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Brother Ron, I am a sinner, a sinner, a bad sinner. I am a sinner to the uttermost. Well, good. He's a forgiver and an atonement. He is a propitiator to the uttermost. Where your sin abounds, his grace doth much more abound. Amen. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing today. That's his job. He is interceding for the saints and the people who come to him by faith since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. <laughs> That's Jesus. I'm sorry, folks. I, I don't mean to be. I try not to be. I know you're not like me, but I think somebody ought to be jumping and shouting when you read stuff like that. It's just awesome. He's high. Listen, high. He's uh, fitting for who is harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, uh, holy, and has become higher than the heavens. This is our Jesus who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. He doesn't have to go to the temple every day. First for his own sins. He doesn't have sacrifice for his own sins. He's perfect. He's the son of God. He is God. And then for the peoples, for this he did once for all when he offered himself up for us. When he offered himself, when he offered up himself hallelujah think about those verses the next time you yawn through amazing grace when you sleep through a sermon like this Jesus Christ is even at the right hand of the father interceding for you having forgiven your apathy and your lack of worship and your lack of Bible study and our lack of prayer and my sins and your sins, every sin that I've ever committed or ever will commit has already been paid for in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when someone accuses, say, oh, see, right down there he did it. Jesus says, I've already paid for that. 
And these people that teach that you can die and go to hell, even if you've trusted Jesus because you can, you, you, if you die with sin on your heart, you never, you could never die with sin on your heart if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And here is the simple fact. Listen to me. You're not going to heaven because of any past righteousness you have or any future righteousness or any present righteousness. If you're going to heaven, there's only one righteousness that's going to get you there, and it is the applied righteousness of Jesus Christ. You didn't do good works to get it, and you can't do good works to keep it. Jesus already did it. And that is what these chapters and these verses are about is how that you and I are secure in your salvation. Because I want to tell you something. Your salvation depends upon three people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Amen. It's rhetorical, but I always like it when somebody answers. Do you know, do you know that you've been forgiven of all your sins? You say, well, I don't know. Well, that's not a good place to be. The Bible says, I, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, right out here when you leave, it's a hill. Be careful. And then when you get down to 82, they're zooming back and forth, and they come over that hill on 82 pretty fast. Please be careful. If you leave this place without knowing that you're saved and on your way to heaven and that you might be going to hell, my friend, please be careful if you leave this place because these roads are dangerous. And if you die, you'll be eternally separated from God forever. Now, is that worth worrying about what people think here? You come today and be saved. 